0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Super Bowl Sunday. Let's get this right out of the way. They, I saw a statistic that, thank you, John, that said that um, 80% of Americans wish that both teams can lose. So um, that's because we're sore losers and we have no hope of ever winning again in my lifetime. So, but other than that, how many of you are rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. That's good. How about our, uh, Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah! <laughs> okay. Just cause you're loud doesn't make you right. Okay. <laughs> and we knew Philly fans would be loud, man. You, you just gotta be careful about them. You know, they have, they're actually grease polling the, the, uh, light poles in Philly so they don't climb them or tear them down. So, uh, Philly's crazy. I don't know if you, back in the 70s, I remember there was a game during the Christmas season where they used to allow you to take your TV to the game. I don't know if you remember that, but they were like this big and you had to put a bunch of D-cell batteries in them to get them to operate so you could watch the game and, you know, because you were kind of hoping that the game on TV was going better than the game that you were watching. But Santa Claus at halftime came out. And the Philly fans were so angry, they started taking the batteries out of their TVs and started throwing them at Santa. Yeah, yeah. So they haven't won since then. So, but I hope you guys have fun. Hope the chili's good. I hope you have a great time. Uh, we, uh, you know, we like the halftime show and all the commercials. It's a pretty cool time. Um, so we have been talking about Uncommon, and this has been really important. Uh, And it's really affecting my life. It's really crazy. I can't tell you how, how it is to be the pastor who's teaching it, who's getting changed by it simultaneously. I don't know how that works, but I have, I've committed to the uncommon life and the effects that it's having my life is amazing by resisting doing the status quo things that I've always done. And so just learning about uncommon compassion, uncommon character, and uncommon courage has really begun to affect my life. But it hasn't been without its challenge. Last week, we talked about uncommon character and the role that the Bible has in creating that. And if you were here, it was kind of, um, it it was very quiet in here, and it was very tense for a little while um, because... Uh, There was some real challenge. I presented an elementary philosophical argument for the Bible, even if it wasn't inspired by God. And I I shared a little bit about some, uh, the results of uh, intelligent design and what it says about the scriptures and all that. And and everybody got real quiet. So let me encourage you. um, If you are looking to get an understanding of the Bible that goes beyond Twitter, Twitter, Uh, uh, TikTok and Taylor Swift, if you wanna get an understanding of what the scriptures are about and what Christianity is about, let me encourage you to just take a picture of that QR code and we have the podcast already loaded up, trimmed up, ready for you to dive right into it, but it will be challenging. But that's the way it is whenever we wanna change the status quo about anything. We gotta be willing to allow something to speak and to challenge us. And today we're gonna to be talking about uncommon flourishing that will challenge um, an idea that you may be living with. Um, so Copernicus comes along in the 1500s. I mean, there was some inkling and ideas that were going on that it is possible that the earth is not the center of the universe. Up until this point, that the idea was that we were geocentric, that the earth was the center of the universe, the solar system, and and that we were the center of, of that earth. And so when the idea came out that the earth wasn't the center of the universe, it was philosophically as impactful as if today aliens are discovered on Alpha Centauri somewhere or in the orbit of Alpha Centauri the way that it would impact you emotionally and how you would feel philosophically and how would it affect you spiritually and, and all that was equivalent to what they were going through in the 1500s. To all of a sudden to be told that they were not the center of the universe would be the same as us being told that we are not the only ones. And so there's an underpinning to how humans ended up with these ideas and they didn't come from the Bible. But science came along with Copernicus and then uh, Hubble comes along and with this incredible telescope, not only shows that there are other galaxies and billions of other galaxies, that we're not even in the center of our own galaxy. I mean, this picture that you're seeing right behind you was taken in 1990, I believe it was Voyager, Voyager mission. And it kind of turned around as it was heading away from the earth, and it caught a picture of this one little planet called earth in a small beam of light coming from its sun. This picture had the same effect that Copernicus had, and it inspired uh, an atheistic astronomer named Carl Sagan to write a book called The Pale Blue Dot. That book was very impactful for my generation, because it basically came to the 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 idea that we are just a pale blue dot out in space. We are not significant at all. And therefore, there is nobody coming to help us. There is nothing intrinsically different than us. Therefore, we need to create our own vision and purpose on this planet because there is no evidence that we are. That gave birth to humanism. That gave birth to elements of the enlightenment, that we had to try to figure out some way to get us back in the center again. And all the way from that time to now, humanity has been striving to try to get itself back into the center of the universe. Whether we do it collectively or whether we do it personally, even investigating your own life, think about how much of your life is to position you correctly in the right light. But it turns out we were a little too quick on our figuring out what humanity was all about because some things started clicking in our observation of the universe, but not only in the universe, but the observation of the earth. And the astronomical numbers began to appear about being a planet that could inhabit life, not just have life, but inhabit life. improbability was astronomically rising almost to one to the 10th to the 450th power. Um, so it was just like insane. And some of the observations that were going on about this little earth of ours that was no longer the center of the universe, that it's something about its atmosphere was unique. The the clarity and the moisture, the, the components that made up its atmosphere, but something about its moon and the size of the moon And where the moon was exactly positioned from this planet was very unique. Um, The earth's position in the galaxy was unique and conducive to life. The mass and the composition of our sun, the kind of radiation that it puts off was again, kind of like, hmm, that's interesting. Then there was the the, uh, Goldilocks principle. The Goldilocks principle is this idea that we are in the inhabitable zone, not too hot and not too cold, that we are placed right in the exact right spot in order for life to happen. Add to that the amount of oxygen and it's in its appropriate range. Too much, we wouldn't exist. Too little, we wouldn't exist. The internal heating of the planet, the rotation of the the core, the Uh, shifting of tectonic plates on the surface and and underneath the ground, helping stimulate this magnetic field that surrounds and protects the planet. The the moderate amount of axis that we are tilted on and then how the moon actually helps maintain that axis that if we didn't have that size moon positioned right where it was, we would have gone into a wobble. And then all this is long before you introduce the concept of life. This is just to produce a planet that has the ability to have life on it. And then we start talking about the emergence of rational beings. Minds not only capable of building fires or killing dinosaurs or, or, or survival of the fittest, but minds that would, that would, would have the ability to interpret the universe. And I know it's like, well, that's not a big deal. Well, that's not what Albert Einstein said. Einstein said this, the most incomprehensible thing about the universe is that it's comprehensible. It's the fact that anybody can know it and see it and comprehend it and that it has the ability to be comprehended and that we rose up, however you wanna model that out, that we ended up being capable of observing it. And the crazy thing is it's not just where we are in the solar system, Because if we were in the center of our solar system, the gravitational force would compress us and then it would break us apart. Um, And just keep that in your mind because a lot of us are trying to put ourselves at the center of our own little universes and it's compressing us, the weight of it is killing us and it ends up breaking you apart. But it's interesting, we're placed in the galaxy that if we were in, in... almost any other place in the galaxy, we would not be able to observe the the universe because of radiation background of, of our own galaxy. So science is telling us that we live in a highly improbable, privileged planet, not only for life, but for the power of observing the universe. I wish Carl Sagan was alive to maybe rethink some of his statements. This privilege seems to scream uniqueness and design. Richard Dawkins, the renowned atheist and the voice of atheism, one of the four horsemen of atheism in the world, uh, said that yes, he has to admit that the universe and life seems to have a component of design. But he believes it is just an appearance of design. That's his call. But it's obvious that science is telling us that we live on a privileged planet. And what it tells us is that life happens best when you and I aren't the center of it, but rather when we are rightly related in orbit to something greater than us. I really should have been a ninth grade earth science teacher. That's really what I should have done. I mean, but it's, that's exactly what science is telling us is that it's not about being the center of the universe. It's not about being the best. It's not about being the greatest. It's not being the the prettiest or the wealthiest, but it has something to do about being rightly related in position. And that leads us into our conversation of being at the right place to flourish. And Jesus, knowing all this, said it this way. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch from me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. And here's here's the, the astronomy metaphor. Abide in me and I abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. He, he's saying that, Flourishing happens, not when you're the center of it, is when you are rightly related to what brings it about. When you're in the right orbit, when you're rightly positioned. And he says that flourishing happens when you are rightly related to God through me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, he can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they are burned. Now, let me just say right before you go any further with your mind, he is not talking about hell here. Okay, that would be totally decontextualized in the context. He's talking about the death of flourishing in a person's life. He continues and he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be Done for you. That's not the ability to just wave a wand and get whatever you want from God. What he's doing is that when you abide in God, when you abide in God in Christ, that the potential of flourishing is unlimited. Ask whatever you wish. It doesn't mean that if you right now said that, you know, hey, I want a Maserati, that you're going to go out in your car, that you're, you're, um, Fiesta turned into a Maserati just because you prayed it and why didn't God give it to me? Nothing against you, Fiesta people. You should be proud. I'm sorry. I just slighted the Fiesta people. I am very sorry about that. But the idea is what he's communicating is that when you are rightly abiding with God in Christ, the potential to flourish is unlimited. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. So prove to be my disciples. Just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. And if you will keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Now, you may have walked in here and you're not, you're not into the God thing at all. And you're just here because somebody invited you. I get it. And I'm glad you're here, um, but just know this, whatever bias or cognitive dissidence you may have towards God, um, consider this possibility that you might've gotten God wrong. That the intention of God is so that your joy may be full. Just as God's joy is already full. God's not here to just bust you up. God's not here to burn you. God's not here to make your life miserable. It is the intention of God through Christ to bring about fulfillment in your life, to bring fullness of joy in your life, regardless of what you heard growing up. So did you hear all this privileged planet talk in this with Jesus? I love it. He's he's kind of putting us right in the third planet belt, right there in the Goldilocks. Uh, place. He says, abide in him, remain in him, bear much fruit because of being rightly connected to him. It is the life bearing orbit. What the earth benefits from not being in the center, what the earth benefits from not being, uh, from rightly being related orbitally, and with the moon and with the sun and with the other planets, Jesus is saying through that metaphor of the vine, that when you're rightly related to me, your potential for flourishing happens. This is a big deal. I mean, this is a really big deal. See, there's a reason why stuff doesn't grow on Mercury and Mars. I'm not an astronomer. I'm not a geologist. I mean, there's a reason why all that stuff is either frozen and dead on those planets, Venus has an average temperature of 867 degrees. That's the average temperature. Neptune on the other end is uh, a negative 330 degrees on an average. See, we all know that there's obviously a good reason why life hasn't happened there or all that remains there is artifacts of life. But also I could say the same thing looking at a person's marriage, looking at a person's family, looking at a person's thought life, thinking about society. It's like, there's a reason why we're not winning at marriage. There's a reason why we're not flourishing as families. There's a reason why we're addicted to things that the the way that we're addicted to things. It's got some, it's, it's more than temperature. It's more than whether we're too close or, too, it's because we're not rightly related. We're not in the zone of flourishing. We're not rightly connected to things of God. And in our small groups, we're gonna go into a deep dive on these principles. But the, the big takeaway from today is, flourishing happens when you're rightly related to Christ. It's not knowing yourself first. It's not knowing the world first. It's not following your own truths. It's not putting yourself in the center of, of the universe. I mean, we do, we work so hard. It's not even because we're homo sapiens. You know, I don't know if you've been watching what's going on with the orangutans lately, but they're, they're accomplishing a lot of cool stuff. I mean, they're putting puzzles together now and I'm like, dang. You know, I think I failed that test. You know, they're putting stuff. So, have you seen what dolphins are up to these days? I mean, they put a diver in the water and the, 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 the diver starts to dance or something and the dolphin starts flipping and, and mimicking it all. And I mean, absolutely incredible things. And it makes a lot of us nervous. You know, I was reading an article out of England that said that it is possible that lobsters um, are sentient. Yeah, I draw the line right there. Okay, I mean, I like lobster way too much. It's just, I'm, just, I, I'm rejecting that as bad science. But the reason why I point that uh, out is because so many of us are like, well, it's because we're humans, we're so special. Uh, what happens if all that gets removed? What happens if they do find life on another planet? I have no problems that we start digging around on Mars or one of the, or, or one of the, the moons probably, and that we find remnants of life small microbial life. Now, for some of you, that's gonna freak you out. And that's why the government, they say, is not telling us whether or not they're really out there. Why? Because people will freak out because it will mess with your psychology about you, about it will mess with your spirituality about God. But my point is, is why? That why, why did we ever think we were the center of the universe? It didn't come from the Bible. You know, um, we've been told all our lives that we're snowflakes and that we're unique as a snowflake. And we try to hold on to uniqueness. You don't think I can find one other weirdo like me on this planet? I mean, it's, it's, so we try to find it in uniqueness. We try to find it on position, whether near the, the sun or away from the sun or with a job or with a degree or whatever accomplishments, we try to position ourselves in some sort of orbit where we're the center. And then when all of a sudden science comes along and says, you're not the center, uh, it's like, it scares us. It's because we've been lied to. We're not the center of the universe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It is only because we derive this incredible attention of God through his love that all of a sudden distinguishes us. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's because I'm his, it's not because of who I am. And it's, But it's a fundamental shift in my head that I don't have to be the best. I don't have to bear the weight of being the center of, of everything that I can rest and abide in Christ and that it's there where flourishing happens. So if we find life on other planets, don't freak out. Give me a call. If it happens, you know, don't freak out. It doesn't mean anything. You say, yeah, but the Bible says, it's like, no, here's what the Bible says, Psalms, and I don't know exactly which one, forgive me, but one of the Psalms says this, that the heavens declare the glory of God. Isn't that cool? It declares the glory of God. It does not declare the glory of humanity. I almost think God made it so large to kind of shrink our opinion of ourselves so that we would discover through his love how important and why we are so loved. Otherwise, it's because we're just awesome. So today is a really, if you wanna flourish, you're gonna, have to, you're gonna have to stop trying to be the center of everything. You're good though. I mean, some of you are incredibly successful. I mean, you're incredible at what you do. You're, you're like, you know, you're more successful for me professionally or intellectually or financially or whatever it may be. But this is about us being uncommon in Christ. This isn't just having a planet. You know, it's not just being Jupiter, but there's no life on Jupiter. Yeah, but Jupiter's big. Jupiter's the largest, most powerful. We're affected by Jupiter's gravity, it's so huge. You work for me, that makes me better than you. You're just a big gaseous ball with a lot of dead weight boasting because you're big. But yet there's this little blue dot, pale blue dot, third planet from the sun, rightly positioned where everything happens. And God's inviting you in Christ to connect and to experience flourishing. He calls us to abide in his love and abide in his commands. To abide in his, his love for us. This is not like love is love, you hear people say all the time, he's like, no, I'm, I'm calling you to abide in my love. My kind of love, not your kind of love. I'm calling you to abide in my love. And this is really important because I need to abide in this love. Cause when I wake up in the morning, sometimes I don't feel very lovely. I don't feel very lovable. I do things on this planet that are not lovable. And I need to, and he's like, listen, dude. I know you screwed up yesterday. I know you cussed that guy out. I know you ran that person off the road. I know what you did, but dude, you need to abide in my love. You need to remain, know that I forgive you and that I love you. But also I want you to abide in my commandments and we'll find out what that commandment is. So it's so important for us to remain in God, in Him. It is there where we begin to bring forth life. Now, I'm gonna read this next passage and, and it's gonna be easy to get this one confused. And I, there are passages in the Bible that I look at first reading and I'm just like, oh yeah, I have no idea what he was meaning there. Or in this case, I think he means something other than what he said, but I'll, I'll show you that it's, it's not what you think it is. I'll let you find it. Just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. My initial reading of that is like, okay, if I keep his commandments, I abide in his love. Uh, Therefore, if if I don't keep his commandments, I'm no longer in his love. I'm not sure, I'm not a, a logician on this, but I don't think that's a, that's a logically correct way to uh, restructure that statement. But the way that I kind of looked at it, it's like, wait a minute, that would, be the, that would be Old Testament all over again. So if I keep the commandments, you love me. And if I don't keep the commandments, you don't love me. What kind of planet can survive in such a wobbly orbit? You're close to the sun, then you're away from the sun. You're close to the sun and away from the sun. You're freezing, you're frying, you're freezing and frying. I mean, is that what he's trying to say? Listen, if you do my commandments, I'll love you. That's not what he's saying at all because look at the second part of it. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. I don't think anybody theologically, it would overturn everything, believes that Jesus is performing because he believes that the love of the father is in jeopardy based upon performance. We don't think for a second that the Father is gonna fall out of love with Jesus if Jesus doesn't pull off the commandments. We, We hear over and over of Jesus abiding in the love of the Father, having nothing to do with the performance. Likewise, we are not performing commandments to keep the love of God. That is not in jeopardy. But there is something in jeopardy. The jeopardy is whether or not we will flourish in that love and create spaces for other people to flourish in that love. See, that's what the whole little part about the branches that don't bear fruit, he cuts them off and he throws them into the fire. It's not about, well, when people start producing fruit, we cut them off and then Jesus throws them into hell. Not, not even close. It's the idea of this, is that when we cease to abide in God, in Christ, and cease to abide in his love, it it metaphorically is the end of our flourishing. You're just a dead branch. And, and that happens all the time. Uh, you may be married here and you're here and you're 25 years married. It's like, I got a lot of time into it, but let me ask you this. Are you a branch that's bearing much fruit or is your marriage metaphorically like a dead branch that has been thrown into a fire? just, you're not producing life anymore. There's no more passion. There's no more love. It's just just turned into this brittle, broken, remnant of love once gone by. But what Jesus says, if you abide in me, I will bring about flourishing in your life. So if you're here today, God wants you to know that no matter how dry your life has gotten, that through the grace of God, illustrated through the resurrection of Jesus, your life can begin to flourish. But if you're in the middle of a marriage that's not flourishing, um, that's what it feels like. I've been in one of those marriages before. Ladies and guys, if you're dating somebody who does not believe in this, oh, you're you're dating Mr. Jupiter. Oh, he's big you know he's dangerous you know he's he's got all kinds of explosions and clouds and gravitational force you know or maybe you're you're wanting to date Mr. Mercury that's the guy on the harley you know you know, he's, he doesn't care about longevity. He's just gonna burn out. You know, is he just gonna live life? He's a, the Jimmy Dean. He's like the James Dean of the world. He's just gonna live hard. But let me just tell you, if your boyfriend, if you're dating a guy who's not rightly related to Christ, do not expect flourishing from him. He may be a planet, but it, it, it may not be inhabitable. And there's a lot of pretty planets and stars out there but it doesn't mean they're inhabitable. Also, you might not be inhabitable. You ever consider that possibility? That maybe you're the Mercury or the Jupiter. Maybe you're the person that can't make a marriage work. Been there, done that. Maybe you're the person that that struggles with addiction and can never seem to ever get it. I mean, we've all been there. But what Jesus is saying is that when we abide in him, We have the power of flourishing. Otherwise, we experience that broken branch, the burning of flourishing opportunities in our life. So Jesus tells them his commandment. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. This is his kind of love. I mean, I can love, I, can, I do a lot of things. I can love you as long as you, you like me. I can love you as long as you vote where I vote, how I vote on things. Isn't that how we run in America? I, you know, we tend to like go with likes and we tend to do all that. Um, I, I can love my wife. You know, I, I, I can love her. And uh, in a way, sorta, I mean, we're, we're about to celebrate 35 years and you would say, well, that's, that's, man, you guys must be in love. It's like, no. You know, the planets are really old, but it doesn't mean all of them are life-bearing. Just because you have a 35-year marriage doesn't mean you have it flourishing and have it going on. See, I could stay married to Susan and faithful to her for a lot of reasons. Let's see, let's think about them. Um, Let's see, I don't wanna get another woman pregnant. That would really mess up the uh, retirement plan. Uh, Let's see, I don't wanna get an STD. Don't like that. Um, Let's see, uh, I want my kids to think good about me. I wanna be a good dad. That could be another thing. Um, I don't wanna lose my job. I forgot about that one. I would lose my job if I did that. Isn't it incredible? that I have just listed about five reasons why I could be a good husband and none of them involve flourishing, abiding love of Christ. And you may be here and you're doing, you're like, crap, he just told on me. That's exactly why I'm still married, you know? And it's like, but God wants you to flourish. And how do you flourish? in his love, his kind of love. And listen to what happens when you're in his kind of love. I didn't discover this until a couple of days ago and it just blew me away. Listen to how Jesus describes how the uncommon compassion and love of God, this flourishing power affects relationship status. He says this, you are my friends if you do what I command you, no longer, Do I call you slaves? For the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You see, when you're in a flourishing relationship with God, you have the power to change the status quo of the relationship. Jesus has every right as the sovereign Lord of the universe to come down and treat them like slaves. But something changes it from the slave status quo to what he calls in the original language, the intimate friend status. It's called abiding in love. It's being rightly positioned. It changes the status of relationship from slave to friend. That's a big jump. And I would say, take that equivalency of slave to intimate friend, and now apply it to your wife. She's not just your wife. I always had a problem with that. I mean, well, I've had a problem because it sounds so ownerish, you know? Yeah, that's my woman over there. That's my wife. You know, it's like, yeah, she's your wife. And maybe when I married her, she became my wife. And and I know Lynn, Linguistically, we can't really... Again, yeah, it's nothing wrong with saying that. But someplace between slave, the slave friend uh, equivalency transition because of the abiding love of God, my wife has become something else. She's become like my, my soul. I mean, I, I can't even really describe the word for it. Um, it's really weird. And I better figure it out because Valentine's like two days away. and It's like, uh... but there's, there's a point when she's just not, you know, the old ball and chain. When you hear a guy talk about his wife, about the ball and chain thing, that's a guy who's not flourishing. That's a relationship that is a dried branch that needs to be thrown in the fire and burned. But someplace along the line, by walking with Christ, not by staring at my wife, not by my wife losing weight, not by my wife getting sexier, not by my wife going fishing with me, not by my wife looking at fo- uh, watching football with me, but rather by me abiding in Christ's love towards her and her abiding in Christ's love towards herself and towards me, I don't know really what to call her, but it is as big as a difference A slave is to friend, wife is to, I don't know. But it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Imagine that with your kids. I mean, we call them our kids. We have 1.5 kids in America on the average, our kids. But there's the power of flourishing that a, and I can only speak for dads. What a dad can put into his children, you know, I made a statement to Deanna. Deanna's the girl that sings here. Um, and uh, she's been uh, my daughter all my life. All her life too. Yes. <laughs> That's tough to pull off. Uh, so, and and um, I told her the other day, a thought that came to my mind was this. The only thing I don't like about your daughter, Ireland, who's my granddaughter, is that she takes my time away from you. Because... Me and Deanna, me and Morgan, and me and Dawn, we do everything. We do life together. And they're like my kids, but they're not. Now they're kind of like, sometimes they're my consultant. Sometimes they're uh, they're like my best friends. They're my children, but it's like, what is that? And it doesn't happen to everybody. It's uncommon flourishing that happens in life. Um, we need to have this transition happen at work. About your job, what do you think about your job? My my wife works for a law firm and her job for the last 30 years is to process uh, disability claims, social security and disability claims, okay? I'm like, just go ahead and shoot me now, okay? So basically you fill out forms, communicate with the IRS, with doctors and with, uh, the patient who is always in pain usually, and I am like, you do that and you've been doing it at this desk for the last 30 years. How do you pull that off and, feel, and don't feel like a dead, dry branch? It's because you bring flourishing to it. How she interacts with her clients, how she interacts with the people that she works with. She sees it as a mission of God to help people who are in pain and are disabled and cannot find their way through all the, the difficulty and the bureaucracy to get to the claims that they, they need for their lives. How does that happen? It happens because the flourishing love of God in your life will transform a regular job into something with incredible meaning and flourishing in it. Listen to God's vision statement for your, for your life. Let's close with this. And this should make you feel really good. It will also make you feel like you're not the snowflake that you thought you were or that you thought you had to be. He said, through Jesus, he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. This isn't about you. God's like, this all starts with me. The orbit happens with me. I chose you. You didn't earn this. You didn't live up to this. He said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. I mean, God's here, he's in the heavens, he's in the life of Christ. And he says, listen, I chose you when you were not special. That verse in Romans says, while we were yet in our worst day, while we were yet sinners, while we were still screwing up, he said, I chose you. You didn't choose me, but here's what I chose you for. I have appointed you. What is appointed? I have put you in an orbit. I have laid out the path for you to flourish. And not just flourish. I want you to flourish so much that your fruit remains. That's 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 super cool. I got a picture from the incredible woman's retreat that took place this weekend. And in the picture, I it was my wife my oldest, my middle, and my youngest daughter together at this retreat. And I got that picture and about the time I got the picture, I was sitting having breakfast at Waffle House with my son-in-law and my granddaughter. And I was just like, I'm not the smartest man. I never, I didn't finish college. I got kicked out twice. I'm not the richest man. Don't have some great retirement plan. Um, I'm not very strong. I'm not very, I'm not tough at all. Anybody could take me. Um, I'm not, I'm not as pretty as I hoped I was. Um, what I discovered was I am not the center of the universe. And in discovering that I'm not the center of the universe, I found the most incredible power of flourishing. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. I'm attached to him. I flourish because of him. And looking at the eyes of my three daughters and my wife, it's like, wow, God, I don't have to be famous. And I don't have to be rich. I bore fruit because I was connected to you. And now they bear fruit, not because they're connected to me, but because they're connected to you. That's how fruit remains. God wants you to have that. I'm not special. I am up here because you could not find a man who is less the center of the universe than me. I'm just a pale blue dot in a really great orbit. So let me encourage you. God does not want to hurt you. His love wants to save you from Mercury and the condemnation of failure. His love wants to save you from you thinking you're bigger and better than you are in your Jupiter orbit. But he wants to bring you into that right place in connection with Jesus so that you may bear much fruit. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you melted my little snowflake, that you busted my bubble, that you blew up my truth and you gave me yours and that in Christ you have invited me to orbit with you connected to you abiding in you and to bear much fruit oh God I can't tell you I'm so glad to get off of Mercury and I'm so tired of trying to be Jupiter to rest in you and to bear fruit I don't care if I'm unique I'm something better than that I am beloved I am yours so father thank you so much and as we're offered this bread and this cup we are invited to return to orbit and if you're here and you totally messed it up like I have done. And your branch was dry, and your flourishing went to the fire. Well, this is why Jesus rose from the dead. Because he lived, he was crucified on a dead, dry branch. And the judgment of the world, the fire and the wrath of injustice came on top of him and justice he died and was buried but in his resurrection showed that we're never beyond hope and the promise of flourishing is as close as Christ is to our souls and he is here and he says this is my body this is my blood it was given for you so that his joy would be full and that your joy would be full receive that in Jesus name